You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode of Of Slights and Men. Uh, we're really excited to be back. I'm here with my co-host, Benji. Uh, it's a bright, breezy uh, Saturday afternoon for me uh, here in New Jersey. I don't know how it is for you, Benji. Probably raining because it's England. Um, and we, we have a, a very special guest with us today, Benji. Without further ado, do you want to give them a little intro? Sure. So uh, we have Mr. John Gustafero on the podcast today. And uh, I actually totally ripped off this description from the Vanishing Ink website um, because I think it does a great job of describing the guest. So let, let me read out what it says. Um, John Gustafero is, in their view, the perfect magician. Uh, he has it all, extremely creative original material, uh, great performing chops, and is one of the most likable performers we know. Uh, it's no wonder his first hardbound book, One Degree, was chosen as Book of the Year on the Magic Cafe. Uh, once you get into his magic, we believe you will be hooked. Um, one thing they didn't mention, uh, which I will, is that John is also a wizard on the guitar. I was listening to some of his tunes before he came on, just to get in the vibe. Um, and he's also a, a speaker and uh, uh, executive. Uh, maybe that's the right word. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of, uh, I don't know, you have, you're in a lot of different areas, aren't you, John? I am. And thank you guys for that great introduction. Um, I like the Vanishing Ink <laughs> uh, description <laughs> as well. So it's always nice to hear those kind words. Um, yeah, pleasure to be here. Okay, well, let's get straight into it. Um, John, um, I've been really excited to ask this question. Um, I know that you have kind of a lot of different origin stories, uh, whether it be in nonprofit or with the guitar or, of course, in magic. Um, let's start with the latter. I'd love to know, how did you get started in magic? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share the journey. <clears throat> yeah, I, um, I got into magic, I think about like age six or seven. Uh, and back in that day, the TV specials were of Doug Henning on TV. And it was a really small household, just my mom and I. So I had no siblings and no dad around, just the two of us. And I think in many ways, I was always drawn to something creative, whether it be art or, or in this case, magic. And uh, something really caught my eye. I know Doug Henning was doing a lot of you know, fun and whimsical illusions, which I thought were great. Um, but it's when he kind of slowed down and he made a nickel vanish in his hand that really drew me in. And I didn't know at the time this was a John Cornelius effect. Um, all I knew is that it was just, just so pure and mm. I just wanted to dive in more. So from that point on, I would um, I would read every book I could. Um, there really wasn't a magic shop nearby. It was in Huntington Park, California. But there was like a, a gags costume semi-magic shop nearby called called Fink's Fun City, and I would go in. And yeah, and they had all that typical stuff, right? The fake thumb with the blood on it and the squirting nickel and all that stuff. But they also had a few magic tricks, and I would just get my hands on everything I could. And um, Yeah, and I, I think Joshua Jay put it well one time. Where, you know, a lot of kids get into magic, but, the, but some of us become students of magic. Right. So it wasn't far after that where I became a student of magic. And, you know, I would just, we didn't have like YouTube or anything back then, but I would just, mm -hmm. you know, get books any way I could. And then I would have my mom um, pick up things from Hollywood magic um, on her way home from work because she lit, she worked in LA. That's cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Rest is history. Oh, that's also sort of exciting. And so uh, it was, it was around about that time that you started uh, with the guitar as well? Was it kind of like a, 
or was that something like a later passion that, that came way if anyone later. doesn't know okay. way later honestly i didn't even know that i had a musical bone in my body to be honest <laughs> um, i mean it was you know i was it wasn't until like 17 years old till i got into guitar mm-hmm. um which is late for a lot to to kind of master an instrument yeah you know i guess like many people in guitar it was like my hanging out at my friend's house and he played so and he taught me like how to play stairway to heaven you know and then i then i ended up like putting a few dollars together and buying just a cheap you know guitar and i just again like anything i just stayed with it um and just put as many hours as i could into it but i think some of the dexterity that i had in my hands from the magic certainly helped Mm. me you know progress Mm. a little faster and how did you um because often right you get to the point where maybe when you're younger you're doing all these things, but then you, you get a little bit older and it's like, okay, all right, I got to get serious about one of these. So which ones are going to be? Did yeah. you just never come to that decision or could you just not make a choice? Or how, how did you actually have the, um, not the ambition, but the, how did you have the, um, I guess, motivation to, to think that you would actually be able to pull off doing both of these? Because obviously now looking back, hindsight, you, it's yeah. great, you did it, but it's quite a ballsy choice at the time <laughs> to try and do both of them really well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't have the benefit. I mean, I wish I could have foreseen the future. I mean, I, I'm glad that the future that came about, but I had no idea where it would lead. But I guess at that time, um, like being in college was was a priority. So, you know, magic was important to me and music became important to me. Um, but at the same time, you know, graduating from college was as well. So I still, these were passions of mine, but I still didn't look at magic or music as any sort of career or anything. Um, I, I went into college with a, I, and I was really artistic as well. So I love, I've always loved drawing and art right. and um, oil painting. And, you know, these days there's like just a lot of pencil sketches and graphic design too. Hmm. Um, so I go, how do I harness this power? So I, I went in as an architecture major the first couple of years oh, and wow. I, and I, I liked it. I really did. But when I got into the very kind of technical structure math stuff, I don't know, it was, it, it wasn't as appealing to me. I, I really liked doing like the renderings and things. Um, so I took a step back my third year, like, okay, so I actually just took a lot of classes. I took classes in graphic design and fine arts and music. And, um, and then when I, I, I took a business class and I thought, and I just really, there was a, a good click because I really have this kind of left brain and right brain thing going on. And I really like strategy as well. And, uh, and I think one of my teachers just saw that in me. And so, so I, I majored in marketing, um, uh, in business administration, but it was specialization in marketing. And I always thought, okay, like being a creative director, you know, in advertising, that's something that I think that I could appeal to both my creative side and my, uh, you know, my business side. So anyway, I, I, I was very well aware of the creative interests I had and I just, uh, was kind of open, open to it. And yeah, it, it was like six years in college because I took a year just to take some classes and just be open to it and everything. So, um, that was kind of my journey there. I love that. Cause. That's actually pretty fascinating because that's kind of recently the uh, journey I've been on myself. Not obviously in the same way, but I mean, as far as it's <laughs> yeah, kind of interesting. Released, as... He released his album, like last yeah. <laughs> and if you want to find my guitar album, no, but it's interesting because because Vanji and I actually do both play guitar, and we uh, both been into magic since a young age, and Amazing. now we're both really into business. So it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to see that. <laughs> you know what? You know, I don't know. I don't think it's a mistake in terms of the way we're all drawn into. You know, I know a lot of magicians who also have another creative craft. I know some like you guys who are also going to have a business side of it. And I think it's, uh, but it really was later on. It was late, you know, probably just only in the past 10 years where I shifted from feeling scattered, like being pulled in different directions right. 
realizing, wait a minute, there's a reason why I'm pulled in all these different, seemingly different directions, but they're actually all going in the same direction. You know, there is a commonality between art and music and magic. And in my case too, also the creative business side, and then ultimately more in philanthropy and nonprofit work. Um, it did, but it took me years to kind of land on it. You know, what, what, okay. all, what all these have in common? What's the common denominator? Um, and I mean, if you go to my, you know, my website or anything like that, I'm, I'm really open about sharing this overarching mission I have. And it's just five words. It's that I connect people to the extraordinary. Hmm. And, uh, you know, through my albums of Spanish guitar and my magic and certainly my work in philanthropy, I bring that to light in every way I can. And it, it, it was really eye opening, you know, how, how five words can really like bring everything into focus. And then everything just kind of felt right in the world. And, uh, so, so, so when you, you know, when you kicked off the podcast and said, like, how do you manage all these things? Like, I mean, to me, all these things are just really one overarching thing. Mm, right. And that's kind of my perspective on that. That's, uh, man, it's so fascinating because every time we have a magician on, we usually like wait until the end of the podcast and then spring a question on them where we say like, Hey, so, um, let's get deep for a minute. Like why, what do you find meaningful about magic and, and why do you put your, all your time into, you know, solving magical problems as opposed to you know, like solving some greater good social problems and uh, all that stuff. Whereas you actually do both. So you can yeah. literally tell us from your own experience. Um, maybe it's a tough comparison to make, but which one do you find the most fulfillment in terms of... Uh, um, <laughs> that's really hard. As I asked me which of my two daughters, I love, I mean, I, they're, all, they're all interwoven, you know, and, they're, and, and, they're, and there's different beautiful things about each. Um, you know, I, I, I often, you know, I, I give motivational talks as well, well, where I weave it all together, you know, and I often say like in, in you know, in, in philanthropy, I'm having the opportunity to, to, you know, turn the impossible into the possible, you know, I mean, there, there's families that may be suffering in, in the community that I live in and I, I lead a, a local foundation. And for example, we've been providing a lot of, uh, uh, grants during this pandemic and helping people that are hungry and I mean really these are impossible circumstances that, that we help you know become possible you know and, and in magic like we make it look that way you know yes. we make things look so in many ways it's much more powerful in actually doing that work um, but I also think it heightens the beauty of magic because I think in you know in magic my, my view is that you know it's not really about pulling an ace out of your pocket or, or whatever I mean those are beautiful moments and fun enjoyable moments um, but I think it also leaves an audience feeling with an extra feeling that, you know, if that's possible, maybe, maybe anything is possible. So I think there's a, a gift in that, that we're giving when we, when we perform magic. So, mm. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> man, I'm, uh, let me just ask this question that just, just yeah. popped into my head. So you were talking then about, um, how it's not about you, the magician, you know, pulling the ice out of your sleeve. And I've seen somewhere, uh, maybe it was you that said it, or maybe it was someone that said it about you, being that you're somebody that really understands that it's not about you, it's about the audience. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering if any of that traces back to your kind of uh, ties with advertising, where it's kind of drilled into you that it's never about the product, it's about the audience and you know how what you're doing, it doesn't really matter what you're doing or what you're selling or whatever, it's just more about the effects it can have on the audience, literally, yeah. whether it's advertising or magic. That's a great question. Interesting perspective. You know, it's funny when, when you say, ties to advertising. Um, I think there are some ties. Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't know if I've ever made that direct connection between, you know, it's all about the, the audience or the customer and all about the audience when I'm performing magic. 
Um, but I think it, innately, I know it is. You know, I, I often talk about, um, you know, in in magic, I, I try to be very audience centric, both mm -hmm. in developing an effect, like trying to look at it through their eyes at the same time as through my eyes, um, and also during performance. Um, in, in, in philanthropy, it's all, there's a term called being donor centric. You know, it's not me just about asking for money. It's about me aligning this opportunity that aligns with your values. And that's, it's all about being donor centric. And I guess in business as well, it's, a, it's about, you know, you look about ta your target audience, you know, being customer centric. Hmm. So those are terms I often use. Um, and yeah, that's my perspective. And, you know, hopefully it, it kind of elevates magic in a, in a, I mean, it's just the way I approach it. You know, that's not to say that, you know, having the spotlight on, on me or, or the sleight of hand, I also want that to be beautiful to watch and, and everything else too. But I think the audience is an important part of the equation. And in my case, a very important part. Mm. So we've already asked you which one is more fulfilling. Um, let's go with a different question. So which, which one then would you say is the hardest to, to be able to come up with a, a magical effect or to be able to come up with a, a song <laughs> or a composition? Or I don't know the the day to day details of your work in philanthropy, but I imagine it's not uh, a walk in the park. No, it's not a walk in the park. I'd say that that's probably the most challenging. I mean, there, you know, it's mm -hmm. it, and plus it's it's my primary focus. I it's my it's my full time daytime gig, right? Um, and there's a lot of intricacies and a lot of behind the scenes stuff and um, some things like well in my wheelhouse, right? You know, with twenty years both in the for profit and non profit sector. And then there's things I'm learning, you know, that thing, you know, I haven't really tackled this before. I've never managed $4 million in grants during a crisis mm -hmm. this past year. Um, and there's cash flow budgets and things like that. So um, I'd say there's ongoing um, dynamics and, you know, business challenges as there always are, right? Um, there's a certain, it, it, you know, and it, there's obviously a level of fulfillment or else I wouldn't be doing it. Um, you know, magic and music, since I don't do it for a living, it's not a full-time gig, although it is certainly a supplemental income. Um, I, I think that, that that adds an extra layer of involvement or, or ease because I could pick and choose the gigs that I want. I could pick and choose the time frame in which I release yeah. a book or an album. So I'd say the on the difficult part, it's probably on the, more on the business, the business side. Um, and yeah, those are the reasons why. <laughs> And, and does it flex just like an entirely different muscle in terms of the skill sets that are required? It does. It does. And I've, I've mentioned there's a commonality in it all, you know, in terms of my, my mission. But yes, it certainly does allow me to flex my muscle. And in many ways, you know, playing guitar is, you know, is, is an escape for me, a creative escape. Um, but the, 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 the fact that in this day and age, I get to share it and I get to, you know, stream an album online that somebody in a different country can listen to you like at this minute like it's really really cool and fulfilling on a whole other level i interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website thedailymagician.com if you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast please head over there and sign up now that's thedailymagician.com we promise that we won't disappoint you yeah i i, I think that um, I, I know that I'm interested and I'm sure the people that are listening are interested as well. We've talked a lot about, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with your magic, but what do you actually do on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis with your nonprofit with your philanthropy, essentially? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just real quick, I mean, when I, when I, after graduating college and just kind of looking at different things, I, you know, I worked at a, at a, like a design 
mm-hmm. firm. I was, you know, designing, you know, ads and catalogs and packaging and things like that. Cause I had like a graphic design arm that I really loved. Um, doing some marketing as well. And then I did some marketing in um, the medical um, industry. And then the nonprofit sector just kind of found me. It's not something I had even had my eyes on, you know. So I did many years at the, the YMCA in understanding their mission and their work and then writing a couple of grants. And then ultimately realizing, wow, I really love this interpersonal connection with people, you know, in terms of like, I can, I can guide them to make a difference that's meaningful in their life. Um, and also help, you know, help people in a really meaningful way. So philanthropy kind of found me, um, you know, later on in my career, probably the past, uh, wow. I mean, I've been in the nonprofit sector close to 20 years, to be honest, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, the past maybe two and a half years um, as a CEO of a local, uh, it's called the Anaheim Community Foundation. And uh, yeah, that's a whole other, other level. So Kind of forgot the question, but uh, that was kind of my journey in, in, in no, business but on a day-to-day basis in leading a foundation. I think you asked me what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's connecting with donors. It's it's understanding the needs of our community. It's uh, um, uh, working with my my board of directors and our donors to both understand the needs and, and develop solutions and innovative solutions to mm-hmm. um, help enrich the lives of our, the residents here in Anaheim. Um, in, in both in times of responding to crisis and in terms of celebrating triumphs together. Um, so yeah, a lot of that is a lot of technical stuff in terms of, you know, um, donor relationship management and, and just, uh, um, being the face of the organization and, and things like that. So hopefully that's enough for just the general public to yeah, yeah. kind of digest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, actually speaking of the, the general public or our audience, I hope, um, they don't get too annoyed at me because. Uh, a good number of them will know you best for your magic, but we're super, you know, me and Jacob are super interested yeah. in the nonprofit <laughs> yeah. sector um, or, you know, just social impact, even if it's for profit. Um, yeah. And so we're going to be yeah. just absolutely super selfish because uh, we have you on. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would you say is like the best? Because I've, there's a guy, Paul Graham, um, and he's uh, this kind of the startup guy. And he says, okay, if you want to run a successful startup, um, the best, you know, thing to do to have a good chance of succeeding is to have, uh, experience in a startup, but the best way to get that experience is to start the startup. So obviously at some point you've got to start with no experience and it's mm-hmm. almost like starting with no experience gives you the experience to do it, but it's a little bit of this weird kind of, uh, not paradox, but, yeah. um, it, it feels like a weird, not a weird way to start, but it's like. You almost know that what you do at first is destined to not go amazingly, but <laughs> just the experience you get doing it is crucial. Well, is, yeah. is that similar for nonprofit, or how would you recommend somebody get oh, started? Yeah. I, I'd, you know, I, I'd say, and, and I had this viewpoint as well. You know, when I first got a nonprofit, said, "Oh, you're nonprofit. That maybe, you know, maybe you're not as strategic as a startup business or or a large corporation." And I've learned that no, I mean, there's so much so much strategy and a startup mentality. Um, just as there is in the business side, there just happens to be a, a social impact um, woven into it, and that the profits you make are reinvested back into your into your cause. So, um, so I'd say that it, yeah, that all everything you just mentioned, whether it's a startup in business or a startup in the nonprofit sector, it's it's all very similar. Um, I think it takes those same sort of business savvy, you know, it, you know. There, I think there's this misnomer that those in nonprofit have to work on a on a shoestring budget and, you know, and, 
And oftentimes these are really the heroes in our community who are doing work that, that, that nobody else could do, you know, that maybe the business sector doesn't really have the answers to or government themselves doesn't. I think the nonprofit sector fills a very important gap. Um, but I also, to a point you made, that social impact for any organization is important. You know, mm. so I, I love in, in some of my, my talks that I give, whether it be just general keynotes or just to corporations who are trying to find a way to make a meaningful difference. You know, having a social impact side of your business is so important um, because it really enriches and shows that you're, yeah, you have a deeper cause than just, you know, selling widgets or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and, uh, yeah, go on. Jake. Sorry, I was just going to say oh, also for everyone that well, nobody else knew this, but before this, I thought I would have to leave around about this time, but now I don't. So just so you know, John, <laughs> that's why I'm hanging around. Awesome. I had, I had yeah. a family thing planned, but luckily the time that it was originally start to happen. Anyway, nobody on the podcast cares about that, but I'm happy to stay because I'm really excited to talk about this stuff because Benji and I love it. Um, I, I wanted to ask, uh, just going back to, uh, before we go deeper in, so uh, I know that's the day-to-day -day of what you actually do within it. What is the goal of your nonprofit organization? Like if you had like the one sentence summary, I know that you're helping in the, the community, but what is the mission? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you for asking. I mean, our, our mission is to, to build community. Uh, through people, partnerships, and pride. And I know those are just a lot of, um, you know, general words, but it, in, in a nutshell, it's to really enrich the lives of residents. And, and I often say it's to help. We are a foundation, really. So a lot of it is is helping elevate the nonprofit sector and provide grants. So in a nutshell, I'd say that it's, um, I like to say that we build a foundation of opportunity for all, you know, and wh wherever people are in their lives, whether it's, you know, getting into college for the first time or, um, helping put food on the table. So yeah, I, 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 sorry, I just shared like a lot of different things, but in a nutshell, it's to build a, a solid foundation of opportunity. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So how did, so did you come in, did you start, I'm interested, how did you start this company or did you come in when it was already going and help it accelerate? Yeah, already your foundation? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate all the questions. This is really cool. I, I've often not asked as much and hopefully this is a, <laughs> at least uh, entertaining because I think there's a lot to learn from this. And yeah. it could be yeah, I mean, we'll, magic we'll ask, you like, we'll ask you like one magic question yeah, no, no worries to me you know i'll just, you know, but it was already an established foundation i was i was uh, in my work i, I find a lot of in, in enjoyment in volunteering and serving on boards so i was on the board for several years um and then um as a board we were deciding that we you know developed a new strategic plan and wanted to realize we could do a lot more in our community um and really a lot of it was just volunteer driven um with some part-time staff so what we realized bringing in a CEO who really helped lead the vision was an, an important next step. So kind of created this position and our, a growth opportunity. And I threw my hat on the ring. And so kind of just, you know, took the helm um, in terms of like, a you know, the full-time, um, you know, executive director of the foundation. So yeah, it evolved and it, it existed before, but I came in to kind of elevate our efforts. Right. And so obviously when you came in, it was already established as a nonprofit. If you were to start a business in the social impact sector, would you choose to do it uh, as a nonprofit or a for-profit? Because I've always been interested, given that you, it's like, it's not like it's this impossible thing that you can make for-profit companies in the social impact sector. Um, yeah. It always makes me curious why more people don't do that and, and why nonprofit profit seems like more of a default. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you could just uh, expand there's, on that. I mean, there's creative ways to do it these days. Yeah, I, I, I it, it's, it's not, it, these days it's not the end. It's not just a, Will I be a business or a nonprofit? Um, there are there are well-established businesses who can have a social impact arm and kind of weave that into um, to elevate their brand at the same time. 
Um, there, there are those that don't really have a 501c3 um, status, which is a nonprofit status, where they, mm-hmm. they utilize another, like, like our foundation, for example. There's a group, a coalition, um, a company that wants to have a social impact. So we become the fiscal sponsor. So if they want to do fundraising or any sort of grant writing, they use kind of our nonprofit ID as their fiscal sponsor. So that's one creative way. Um, there's something called being like a social purpose corporation, an S-corp. It's another way to go about it. Um, there's other kind of social enterprise models. So without getting technical, there's 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 other ways to do it. And, and I, I don't know if there's any one best way. I think it would just depend on what the goals are. And, right. Um, yeah. Cause, so. Yeah, because I'm assuming being a nonprofit has certain legal advantages depending on which sector you're in. Sure. Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I guess it would just. I guess the 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 related question then is um, because at least in my mind, and obviously I'm speaking just purely based on theory, but I would assume it's easier to to motivate employees if it's a, a for profit, um, because I don't know, especially especially if it's a limited by shares company where they're gonna directly benefit. You know, it's a startup. It's it's totally in everyone's uh, capitalistic instinct and and motivation to make sure that this for profit social impact company succeeds. Yeah. On a nonprofit, is it purely? Are you just kind of purely relying on the goodwill? Like, obviously, people get paid, but it's like it's not quite as uh, the room for. Well, I guess just the room for capital growth is not the same in a nonprofit. So, how do you motivate the employees in the same way? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely has to be a sustainability model. So, how does this nonprofit sustain itself? And and certainly, there could be revenue generating. You know, for example, like the YMCA would. You know, they have um, sliding scale where some people do pay for membership or pay for programs and 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 those that revenue helps offset the cost for those who can't afford it. Right. Mm. Um, there's grants are certainly a big part of nonprofit work. Um, so you get you know, multi-year, multi-year gifts and multi-year grants are great because you kind of know what's going to come in the, the next few years. Um, yeah. And you, you have a budget just like any other business. And I think employees are motivated, certainly by salary, certainly by the meaningful work you do. Um, yeah, but there's still there's still that same mindset and, and business practice where there has to be revenue um, that comes in to pay for staff and, you know, cash flow and budget and everything. And uh, but sustainability is always key because you just don't want to um, succeed for one year and then, you know, not have an ongoing stream. So it, and certainly, you know, ongoing donations um, uh, is a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I uh, I just finished reading this week a, a book by um, uh, Scott Harrison. I don't know if you know, uh, well, not that you know him personally, but do you know Scott Harrison's company? I don't know, it doesn't ring uh, the, 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 So it's the, the company is Charity Water and it's... Uh, oh, sure. It's, it's interesting because it runs a slightly different model where it's a you know 100% of donations are put toward uh, generating clean water and, and wells for, for people who don't currently have that but they also have like a uh, obviously I don't know how it's structured legally but they have another side of the business that donors like specify that they want to donate to where that literally just pays for like the overhead and the employees and stuff so they have it as like two separate entities so that yeah the one that is on, on the face of the company, they can literally say to every single person in the American public or, or beyond that every penny they donate will go to the charity. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's an interesting model. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting model where you can, yeah, because it's two different sides of the company, but with still kind of one, you know, overarching mission. You know, and then there's hybrid companies like Tom's Shoes and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
you got even like Vanishing Ink has a great nonprofit. Yeah, they were telling us about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's certainly, I, I love, I love seeing that. And uh, yeah, so I think that's, I think that's really the future of, of, of anything we do. And and even just as, you know, if the people listening right now and you think, okay, well, I, I don't have a business or anything. I'm just, I love magic. You know, there's things you could do that just, just, you know, like I, I, I like to walk the talk. So if there's a nonprofit who wants a virtual show, I'll, I have a nonprofit rate, you know, it's like 50% what I don't normally charge. So it's a way that I can get back. Um, and I just feel good about doing it and helping them achieve their mission. Um, so there's things that I think we can all do to just do some extra good in the world. Yeah, and that company you mentioned, Tom's, um, actually, Jacob, that's the book I got you for Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually <laughs> yeah, that right now. Blake Mykoski, that one. Yeah. That's, that's a, oh, very cool. Yeah, that was an inspiring one. One um, other great book before we kind of leave the topic. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of Dan Pilata. It's a book called Uncharitable. No. Uh, and he also has a great, a great uh, TED Talk. So look up Dan Pilata. Um, but th the general idea is what, you know, typically nonprofits, people like often ask, um, well, what's your overhead or what's, you know, what's mm -hmm. typically you want to keep administrative cost. The old fashioned view, you have to keep administrative costs like to 15% or, or, or lower of your budget. You know, and I, I think if I recall the story, like he was helping the lead some like these AIDS walks in New York and really it was like 50%. They, it costs like 50%, over 50% of, of admin costs to put on a run that raised millions of dollars, you know? And it is, wait, wait a second. So is it wrong if you're, if you're raising 10 million, but it costs 5 million to put it on, like, are you saying that it would be better to keep over to 15% and then maybe you only net a hundred thousand, mm. you know, because sometimes the more, the more resources you put in, the, the bigger the, the net outcome right. would be. But it was basically an old fashioned view that overhead has to keep, you know, so low. And I think he has this viewpoint, like, what do you want on your epitaph? at the end, like I, I, I help keep overhead low or I help change the world. Mm. And so anyway, I, for a few guys are all into this, that might be something you want to explore some more. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah, my book cool. And what you just said, um, the, let me see. I had a couple of questions, but, uh, let me scroll up to them. Yeah. Your book one degree. Um, I mean, you can talk about the magic side of it if you want. I was more interested in the sort of I guess the name of the book, One Degree, and, and yeah. you mentioned a few reasons why One Degree, um, I guess three different facets, if you want to call it that, of, of how that works. Yeah. Um, and maybe you could briefly go over them and then we could maybe uh, brainstorm some more One Degree. I'd love to, yeah. That'd be fun. I mean, it's probably a good transition because I think this One Degree philosophy can, it, it's mm -hmm. certainly, it's a book on magic and it's a philosophy that can be applied to magic, but it could also be applied to aspects of your life and business and everything else too. So it's probably a good transition. And I certainly didn't invent the, invent the notion that, you know, small changes can lead to big outcomes. Right. Um, certainly applying it to magic, I found that it was a very refreshing and, and really new and innovative approach. Um, and it just organically came about, you know, I've been in magic for a long time and, and, uh, and realizing that, hey, in addition to performing and reading and, and about magic, I I also have a knack for creating magic. And I didn't even know that. That just kind of came about organically. Um, I'm just bringing that up because I would go to the, the Magic Castle like every Wednesday night for years. And we would just jam all night long. And and then, I, you know, slowly kind of other other magicians like David Regal saying, wow, you should share that. You know, people need to see that. That's amazing. and Whatever. So. Um, but it was years, years later that I realized that as, as some of the routines I was doing evolved, it wasn't those big changes that made them better. It was these small, minute 
you know, intentional shifts. Like, wow, if I just change this one thing, I'm, I'm getting like, I'm getting a great reaction rather than just, you know, a good reaction. And then I started exploring that because it kind of organically came about like, wow, I just made this one little change. And then and now it basically like, I don't know how to quantify it, but it didn't just double the impact. It's like, it's like 10 times the impact now right. by this one change. I started looking at all my magic that way. Um, and then really the book became a compilation of tricks that, um, that some are brand new to the reader and some are, you know, they may have seen on my brainstorm DVDs, you know, seven years earlier, um, that saw like, wow, look how much better it is because John just had this one thing. So, um, in those three different ways to look at it, that you, that you look, I mean, predominantly, I often get the example of like boiling water and, uh, you know, when you're boiling it to 211 degrees hmm. Fahrenheit, anyway, um, you're one degree away from the boiling point. Yeah. So you spend this year, it's pretty hot for us over here. Yeah, exactly. I know. I, gotta, no, I have to, I have to specify that, but just the idea that a degree in terms of boiling water, whatever the temperature is, you know, can make a big difference, right? Where you spend all this years getting it up to this point, hmm. but there's, there's some point where it crosses over to creating this powerful pool of possibilities, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes we look at degree in terms of, of you know, uh, an angle or something. Like if a ship were to steer just in one degree difference, it's eventually going to take them to a completely different destination. Um, and, and then the final thing, too, because kind of going back to what we were talking about, being audience centric, you know, and, you know, the, the, the old adage that, you know, like six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, Meaning that like we, we could probably, we're probably all connected to, it's a funny thing. You've probably heard of it. They're all connected to somebody like Kevin Bacon right. within six degrees, right? I watched this movie and I know this person, but, but, but really, if you look at it as a connection, as a magician, when we perform, these are, this is a group of strangers um, more often than not. And we have, we have this opportunity really to create a, what I call a one degree of connection, you know, a direct connection where there's rapport and ease and enjoyment and everything else too. So, so woven in the book are these small intentional micro shifts that I call one degree shifts. Um, but I also weave in the idea of how do you at the same time have this concurrent goal of developing a one degree of connection uh, with your audience. So really that's what the book is about. There's, you know, it's funny, I, you know, there's um, like 20 tricks and slights in the book, um, but there's five essays as well. And, I, I felt kind of, it was kind of risky. Like, I don't know if people are going to absorb these essays. I don't know if they're going to really respond to an essay right. about what's your brand as a magician or things like that. But I, I, you know, it's really fulfilling to hear people say, wow, like the essays alone are worth, worth the book and things like that. So, but in, in, I don't know if that was a nutshell, but that's, that really de describes the yeah, yeah. philosophy of one degree. I, I really love that because that is essentially, I guess if you're going to say our mission here at the Daily Magician uh, is to help people helping magicians think differently. Yeah. Uh, and I like what you said about those essays and just kind of, because oftentimes we can get so trapped up inside this, the dogma of, of magic that we forget to look outside and realize that there's so much we can learn, like you said, from business and branding about yeah. how we can perform as a magician. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, the principle that you were talking about of how, if you change one thing, um, it can make everything else better, and it's that one degree. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Uh, I mean, it's quite a well-known principle, but eighty twenty by Perry Marshall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't read the entire book, but I'm, I'm well aware. Yeah, of it. yeah, right. And so the interesting thing is, so the other day, um, not to get too technical, but Benji and I were thinking about how we could uh, work on our funnel or work on conversions or whatever. Um, and so the interesting thing is, so at first you think 
if you increase one part, so for instance, let's just say uh, we increase the quality of our our copy or whatever, um, um, you, you would think that that would just, you know, that it wouldn't even make that much difference. But the interesting thing with this principle of 80-20 is when, when, when you break it down, right, if you increase everything by a little bit, it's actually cumulative. So it, yeah. it's not it's not just timesing it by two, but it's then timesing it by two again and again and again. And so you think that you're going to end up with just doubling how good your trick is, but actually you're timesing it by, by two, by two, by two, by two, by two. So you end up with like, I don't know, like a 50 multiple or whatever. You're actually making your trip 50 times better rather than two times better just by increasing how good each element within it is by two. And I don't know if that made much sense. Yeah. Um, no, the way I... yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Expand on that. No, I was just gonna say the way I phrased it to Jacob at the time, I kind of pulled a dirty trick. I was like, "Hey, Jacob, what do you think would happen if we took every step of our like funnel or sequence, and we took each element and doubled the effectiveness of each of them?" And he kind of he could kind of tell I was trying to get him, but he was like, "Uh, I guess it would like double the output." And I was like, "No, <laughs> it's gonna like sixteen x the output because okay, we get two times the number of leads come in, two times the number of people click that link in the email, two times the number of people go from the sales page to the to the." To the uh, cart page, and then two times when people buy, two times two times, it was sixteen x overall improvement. And obviously, that's just mm -hmm. one example. But like Jacob said, the magic it also applies. Yeah, that's a great way to approach it. You know, I, and I think you have an opportunity in that example to actually quantify it. Uh, I, I think in magic sometimes it's more difficult mm -hmm. to quantify. Um, although, I mean, you might say, "Hey, uh, the the applause was this much longer, <laughs> or I got this much many repeat gigs, or whatever. But I think right. there's also this just feeling, like you know, you, you know when a show went great or when ah, something was off, right? So a lot of this is just being open and understanding. Okay, what is the problem? What is and just being open and uh, like what, what's working, what's not working, and how can I how can I maximize what is working and how can I minimize what's not um, yeah, through these shifts and. Yeah, but I thank you for sharing that example. I think that was a great way to do it in terms of um, what you described. I don't know if there's a formula like that in magic, but that would be something yeah. kind of cool to explore. Yeah, that's that's the next book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> the second degree. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other way of looking at it as well in terms of 80-20 is, uh, and again, this was the same guy, Perry Marshall. He has a great book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. Um, and he's like a student of uh, Richard um the, the guy who wrote the original 8020 oh, and he talks about how in the original 8020 book there's kind of this throwaway comment about how 8020 is like fractal and then he took that and turned it into its whole thing where he, he realized that you know if 20 percent of things produce 80 percent of the results mm -hmm. um 80 percent of that 20 percent is caused by 20 percent of the 20 percent so without getting too confusing you keep you can keep going down a level and then another level and another level so you know, if you have 20 customers responsible for 80 of the orders, well, 20% of those 20 customers were responsible for 80% of the 80 orders. And that just keeps on going until maybe you've got like one person responsible for 50% of the output. And uh, as you say, one degree, maybe that's responsible for 50% of the overall. But you can just keep breaking it down. Where, yeah. I don't know, maybe you have, again, I'm trying to link it to magic. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how successful it would be, but if you had 10 routines and, and maybe two of them uh, produce eight, eight, a factor of eight of the reaction or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then one of them actually produces like a five and the other one's a three and you can just really get narrowed and narrowed down. That's a good point. And I think just more, if you just take a step back, just, I think the idea of just having a cumulative result, like you described is important mm -hmm. too, because we, we don't look at magic as just 
you know, individual tricks. None, none of them are mutually exclusive, right? And that's where the art of routining comes together. And that, you know, two or three really great tricks woven together in just the right way um, and just the right payoff at the end is can create a cumulative result that, you know, that neither can do together. There's like a synergistic connection. Hmm. And I really enjoy yeah. that. I think that's a, there's a whole art to that, right? And, and a lot of enjoyment for me as well. You just say, okay, I have, you know, hundreds of tricks. Like, you know, what, how many different combinations could, could these be combined for a 10-minute set or a 20-minute mm -hmm. set? And that's a, a fun way to, to approach magic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I suppose another application, obviously, if you're, if you're a magician and you want gigs, you know, twenty percent of the people you talk to will be responsible for for eighty percent of gigs, and then twenty percent of those twenty percent. So, you, if you just focus on them, uh, yeah. you'll see a hugely leveraged output in theory. Well, there you go. Uh, I think you bring up you another. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you, you bring up another point that I don't explore in the book. That's kind of that behind the scenes stuff. You know, mm -hmm. in terms, of, you know, I talk about the creation of, of effects, but there's certainly probably one degree strategies you could take in how you communicate with your, you know, potential clients. You know, there's some sort of thing that made you stick in their minds more than, you know, than before. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think applying it to your process of how you market yourself and secure gigs is probably a whole other area that yeah. I didn't explore in the book. But you could, like I said, there's a lot of this whole idea of the one degree is you can apply to all aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I don't want to be a dead horse. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> tell me, actually, you, you probably know. I mean, I'm going to assume you know way more slides than me, but I would assume that 20% of the slides are used in 80% of the routines, and maybe 1% 1, 1 of the slides are used in 50% of the routines. So oh, just yeah, focusing on training those ones to the highest possible standard is going to cover you for the large majority of the all the effects out there. That's a great point. Yeah, and I think I think the slides that we all choose to use is you know inherent to who we are as a brand. And um, I think in one of my recent master classes I did with Vanishing Inc., I talked about how you know, I was talking about one of my slides, uh, or it's called the ballet cut, but why that really works for me, you know? And I, I said that, you know, I think in how you choose a slight, there's a couple, there's a couple reasons behind it. It has to match your style and it has to match your strengths. And, and there's probably a third S there too. And that also has to match a solution, you know? There's mm -hmm. a solution, there's a reason why I'm using the slide in a technical manner, but there, it also has just to, like, there's certain slides that aren't, I, I know, I could spend 20 years, I'm never going to master like a diagonal palm shift or, or something like that, you know, where others can do with ease. So that's what I mean when I'm saying you're getting a, a, a you're choosing slides that really align to your strengths and what you're able to do, whether it be, the, you know, the size of your hands or the, you know, just the dexterity you have. Um, and also just with your style, you know, there's certain, like the ballet cut's a perfect example because if, if you're not aware of it, it's just a, it's, a, it's an elegant cut it looks like a mini flourish but it's also a false cut and to me it kind of just fits my my brand of, of i don't say brand but my my style like an understated elegance um but it also solves some solutions and it just fits all those things so so anybody out there who is yeah there's probably you know like 20 percent of slides that make up the, the majority of what you do and there's pro it's probably because you chose that way because they're easier to do in your hands they help solve solutions um and they also kind of just match your style right awesome i'm interested um we've talked a lot about the book but i'm interested how did this mindset come was there like i'm guessing there wasn't <laughs> but was there yeah. some like eureka moment where you were like oh like 
I did that and like this like one degree idea came to you like I'm just interested where did this mindset come from yeah it just organically evolved yeah I didn't sit right. down and say I'm gonna write a book which one degree at one time, degree. it was probably oh. just like one, one trick that I, I realized wow and then I and then I just started like wow wait a minute I think I'm onto something like can this you know what do you call that right mm. and then I just started exploring and doing a lot of reading and stuff and kind of landed on one degree um, because it had kind of this multiple meaning and everything, but yeah, it, it organic organically evolved. Um, and I think for that to happen, I think there's a there's something we all have to have. There's a mindset of just being open, open minded. You know, um, I mean, even just in being creative or creative, you know, creativity. I think Jay Senke had said that, you know, it's creativity. It's not something you do; it's something that happens. And I think just having a mindset where you're open to learning and continuous improvement um, and kind of seeing things in a different perspective or what can I learn from this? Like, how can I uncover this a little bit more and see something that's hidden here? I think that allowed me to kind of just be open to what, what would become, you know, the one degree idea of these micro shifts. Hmm. And you, you said about continual improvement, which is, uh, I guess that's another angle on, on the one degree thing, right? I mean, maybe you've heard it before, how if you just improve, you focus on, rather than making these huge changes, if you focus on improving at least like, I don't know, 1% per day, you're going to be a whole 37 times better by the end of the year. So yeah. rather than trying to bite off these huge chunks, just attacking a problem and that, that continuous improvement of one degree is obviously going to compound um in terms of the maps of it a great way to look at it yeah and i think i allude to to what you just said in, in one of my follow-up books it's called en route mm. and it's like the idea of this these adding one degree shifts every day or you know or at least in a consistent manner like are we ever done improving no, i think we are i think we're always en route yeah. we're not, it's not always we reach a destination we're done um you know, and, and even if there's just one particular trick you're doing and you realize, okay, I think I've added enough of these one degree micro shifts in this trick that I think it's pretty much done. Like I do it similarly all the time. Um, but even that's really not done because every time you perform it, it's a, there's a different dynamic with your audience and surroundings. So in that regard, it's probably never done completely just in the way it's done or the timing or the speed or how you respond in a moment to your audience um but anyway that's that's basically the meaning behind en route it's the idea of consistently doing one degree you know shifts all the time where you're always on a journey of continuous improvement mm -hmm. i'll just hit one more angle maybe on the one degree thing you don't even have to comment on it if it's uh too obvious but <laughs> okay. um just given your background in advertising as well i thought it'd be interesting to point out often when you're uh, you know you're running maybe a, an advertising test where you have one advertising campaign and then you have another advertising campaign just changing maybe one word in the headline or maybe just changing one uh, one line maybe it's the headline that you change could result in anywhere from like a three times to even like a 20 times uh, increase in, in the response you get so that's i don't think it's anything new from what you're saying but it's just another example of it in a different medium that's a great point. I will comment on it. You know, I think we call it like an A-B test, right? Mm -hmm. Or you, you know, and it could be like a color or like you said, a headline. Um, and uh, I guess that brings up one other point too. Is it like sometimes you don't know if you've hit a one degree, like, is this really, did I do right. it? You, know, you have to, you have to, again, this idea of being open, you know, you have to field test it, right? You have to get some flight miles 
in doing this effect. And in that respect, your audience becomes your your mirror, becomes your your test in this regard, right? You'll you'll know. You'll watch their eyes and realize, oh man, I got a standing ovation here. And or or wow, that shift really didn't bring anything that I expected it would be. So it's not all done in a vacuum. So I guess in many ways you are doing those comparative tests you just talked about through performance and being open and then just kind of they don't know you're doing this, but you're really a val- They become tools for you uh, in 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 how you land on what you think is successful. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, I, if I can surmise everything that we've talked about, and um, please uh, interject if I don't do a good job of it. Um, but I mean, really, it's from what you've just said. Let's go out there and do it, right? Let's go make those one degree changes in our lives. Uh, and thank you so much for uh, reminding us all of the importance of that. Because like you say, um, we're never done learning. Uh, and I think that's yeah. such like it's a really important point. Like however old you are, how much experience you have in life, there's always something new to learn. And that's what makes life exciting, at least for me. <laughs> the fact that you can always progress and you can always find that that one degree in your life and in your magic or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, so obviously we've shouted out your book um please like i don't know where people can i I saw that it's out of stock on vanishing i don't know if it'll be coming back i don't know if there's another place people can go buy it um i'll tell you i i I, since i as i since i do have varied interests in both magic and uh, and music and and business and speaking um i do have like one kind of website that kind of brings it all together it's it's kind of like my, my connection page so it's and it's, it's a handful because my, my last name is so long, but it's just johngustafero.com. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram, or, or uh, that's kind of like my links page where you can see. And there's links to my magic products page as me speaking, um, work about my foundation, how to get my new album. So it's all there and also where to follow me and on social media. So if you, I don't know if you post a link or whatever, but johngustafero.com. Yeah, yeah, man. I wish I'd yeah. found this when I was preparing for this. <laughs> it would have been so much easier. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, you guys are really prepared, so I, I can't even imagine how much more prepared you could have been. Um, I appreciate all the insight, insightful questions. We'd probably go on for hours if we wanted to. Um, Maybe another time I appreciate, we will. Yeah, it came from a place of curiosity and, and intellect and, uh, and passion. I can totally feel that. So thanks for the great questions. No problem. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you. I hope everyone go check out his website, go follow him on Instagram, go follow him on Twitter, wherever you want to buy his products because I can really tell that they're going to have a big impact on you. So thank you so much for coming on, John. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you. Likewise. Thank you, guys. Okay. Cheers.